Welcome to The Markets. Hello again. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson. Dateline, Chicago, Friday, July 5th. And this weekly visit, we take a look at what happened in the markets from Wall Street to the livestock pens to the feedlots and to the grain fields across America. And there's never a quiet week without some unusual happenings. So let me take a look, first of all, at the numbers on Wall Street today. The Dow Jones down 38 points, ending the week at 26,927. The S&P 500 down 5 points, ending the week at 2,990. The uh, NASDAQ down 7.5 points, ending the week at 81.62. And for the week, the Dow was up 1.2%. The S&P 500 rose 1.7%. The Nasdaq up 1.9%, and all three of the major indices had record-setting days during the trading week on Wall Street. So let's take a look at some of the reasons. Stock market dipped today. The S&P 500 snapping that three-day streak of record closes following an unexpectedly strong U.S. payrolls report that should normally be good news to the market, but it led investors to reassess how dovish a stance the Federal Reserve may take at its next meeting. That meeting will come at the end of the month, and uh, there was a point uh, where it was pretty strong consensus that the Fed would cut rates by 50 basis points, but after today's trading, Traders sharply scaled back their expectations of a rate cut of half a percentage point by the central bank. And uh, if it does take place, it will do so on July 30 and 31. Because confidence did remain high, the Fed would cut rates by at least 25 basis points. But they sort of scaled back their expectations of a 50 basis point reduction. Shares of banks, which have been under pressure from falling benchmark debt yields in recent weeks, rose three-quarters of a percent and helped drive a one-third percent gain in financials. And the defensive names, such as real estate, utilities, and consumer staples, each lost ground today as an increase in U.S. Treasury yields, served to make the dividend-paying companies less attractive. Now, trading volumes were light at the end of the holiday-shortened week, with markets closing early on Wednesday and closed all day on Thursday for the Independence Day holiday. About 5 billion shares changed hands in U.S. exchanges today. That compares with 6.8 billion shares, the daily average, over the last 20 sessions. It was the lowest volume day of the year, for a full trading session. And uh, while we're looking at prices and where they ended, let's look at oil prices, because oil prices today moved higher as tensions over Iran and an extension to output cuts by OPEC and its allies boosted prices. 
but then mixed economic data limited the rally. And uh, at the end of the day, Brent crude futures at $64.23 a barrel. That was up 93 cents, and the U.S. crude settled at $57.51 a barrel, and that was a gain of just 17 cents in the oil market for U.S. crude today. German industrial orders fell far more than expected in May. That report coming out today, and the economy ministry said the sector of Europe's largest economy was likely to remain weak in coming months. Then, uh, as we take a look at what's going ahead for next week, when we get back to a normal trading week, fairly quiet, except for the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve on Tuesday will conduct a conference to discuss the effectiveness of its stress tests for large banks as the U.S. Central Bank considers changes to its critical post-financial crisis tool. The conference at the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston will focus on the transparency and effectiveness of the regular tests of bank books. Top Fed officials have said they are considering changes to that test, which has faced consistent criticism from banks that it's overly complicated and opaque. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell will give opening remarks, and the Vice Chair for Supervision, Randall Quarles, will speak on stress testing before the conference gets underway. Tuesday, Boeing Company expected to report a drop in deliveries for the second quarter, hurt by the extended groundings of its best-selling 737 MAX jets. Following two deadly crashes, investors will look for the number of order MAX generated during the quarter as a sign of confidence in the jets' abilities. And Boeing this week announced that it has set aside a hundred million dollars to cover lawsuits for human loss in those two crashes. PepsiCo expected to report its second quarter results Tuesday. Growing demand for healthy snacks and beverages expected to boost sales in the quarter, and investors will keep an eye on the performance of the company's energy drinks. That includes Gatorade. As rival Coca-Cola gets the green card to sell its product after winning an arbitration case against Monster Beverage. Thursday, Delta Airlines expected to report higher profit and revenue for the second quarter, helped by strong demand for air travel in the country. Also, Tuesday, Levi Strauss and Company expected to post an increase in second quarter revenue, benefiting enough from the surging popularity of denim. And on Tuesday, the Labor Department is expected to report Jolt's job openings for May. Thursday, the department likely to report that the consumer price index in June was flat. And on the same day, the department also expected to show that initial claims for state unemployment benefits increased to 222,000 for the week ended July 6. 
And on Friday, the producer price data is expected to be released for June, and uh, investors expecting that number to remain unchanged. Then, as I said, the Federal Reserve has a full page of scheduled speaking engagements for the regional governors around the country of the Federal Reserve. Full day of scheduling, so don't call the Fed Reserve governor on um, any day this week because they'll probably be traveling somewhere for a speaking circuit. Now, let's look a little bit more at that employment report that came out today because it did come as a surprise and uh, job growth rebounded strongly in June. Government payrolls surging, but persistent moderate wage gains and mounting evidence the economy was losing momentum could still encourage the Federal Reserve to cut interest rates this, uh, this month. Labor Department closely watched employment report Friday suggested that May's sharp slowdown in hiring was probably a fluke. Lack of concrete progress in resolving an acrimonious trade war between the U.S. and China, however, still means the bar could be very high for the Fed not to lower costs at its July 30 to 31 uh, policy meeting. So non-farm payrolls increased by 224,000 jobs last month and uh, far above the expectations of economists who were looking for the number to come in at 160,000. Government employment rose by the most in 10 months and construction and manufacturing hiring regained also and moved higher. So uh, job growth averaged 172,000 per month in the first half of the year. Hiring, though, has cooled from an average of 223,000 jobs per month in 2018. So that, uh, as I said, traders and investors reacted to what normally would be pretty good news, more people working. But uh, the traders and the investors didn't quite see it that way. Well, there's more to talk about involving agriculture. Sitting in our studio with Max Armstrong is Clayton Pope of Clayton Pope Commodities in Champaign. And we'll hear what he has to say about agricultural markets when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here. Here to help. Clayton Pope, Clayton Pope Commodities at the microphone with us this weekend. I don't want to do too much Monday morning quarterbacking here or burying, but the faith, the confidence in National Ag Statistics Service reports 
had to fade dramatically in the past few days with that June report. You don't want to be in the way of a June report either, do you? Yeah, boy, isn't that the truth? Anything to do with these early planning reports, they've always been infamous for just uh, making a lot of people mad and shocking the trade. You know, Starting with the, Mar- the, the March 31st tradition, you know, the prospective plannings report, uh, it always rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But I, I think this latest round of uh, angst over it is a little misguided, if you ask me. I mean, number one, I mean, good grief, if the, are these guys up to a Herculean task here or what? Really difficult, I think, to, to get a grasp of the situation. Uh, i got to think they're doing the best they can. And I think, to a large extent, the trade's kind of shooting the messenger just because it's not what they wanted to hear. Some people suggested that report should not have been released, the acreage report, given the tentative nature the uh, very late planting. Are you in that camp? I'm not. I, I mean, let's go for it. You, you know, you can't just shut down because uh, it, it's too hard of a task. I think you got to make your best effort. Now, we live with these numbers for several weeks now. That's the thing. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, we live with them. Um, as we all know, the, the private estimates that will always be coming out don't carry near the, the weight to the market that the official USDA numbers do. But uh, I think just judging or you know, looking at the situation in terms of prevent plant and, and the way the, the, the survey was conducted, you know, the actual wording of the questions, uh, you know, we're really going to have to wait a long time. So even this resurvey that they're going to do, uh, that's still going to leave a lot of questions unanswered. And it really looks like we're going to have to wait for those final crop insurance filings to come in. And as we all know by now, it takes a long time for those to kind of slowly filter in. So, yeah, we're in a long-term discovery process here. The resurvey numbers will be coming out as a part of the August report, right? Covering more than a dozen states? That's what I understand, yeah. 13 or 14 states, and uh, it'll be, I think it's the August 12th supply and demand will be on that. For that producer who's holding on for some real market mover here to the positive side, what do you tell them? Well, our, our attitude here as risk managers is um, more than ever before, uh, we try not to, to recommend a cookie-cutter approach for risk management. I mean, it really depends on what your own particular situation looks like. You've got to go out there and assess your crop. Uh, if, if you do have a decent-looking crop, or, and, and again, you have to break that down. Obviously, some people have some great-looking fields. Some people have some disastrous fields. But, you know, try to get a realistic handle on your production. And, and I think uh, you, you really need to you know, feed the market here on the production that you have some semblance of certainty on. I realize there's a huge growing season ahead of us time-wise, and this crop is fragile at best. But even that being said, I, I think uh, th- there have been, and, and even at the moment here, there, there's opportunities that we never dreamt would be here uh, two months ago. And I think uh, it, it's, it's wise to take a little bit of risk off the table as those opportunities present themselves. I, I just caution customers and listeners to uh, don't drink this bullish Kool-Aid completely because it's very easy to get swept up in it and think, oh, there, I'd be an idiot to sell right now because who knows what we're going to. And the fact of the matter is if, if you can lock in a, a decent profit on something that you never dreamt was possible two or three months ago, why not? Has there been too much looking out the kitchen window here? Has that been sort of fostering that sentiment among, among producers that there's a rip-roaring rally out there somewhere? Yes, uh, that, that's always a, a pitfall, I think, you know, for the grower. But uh, understandably so, though. I mean, here I, uh, you know, it's funny, in, in other years sometimes, you know, you step outside and, you know, it's 95 degrees. It's supposed to be hot. You can't help but have that affect your psyche and the way you look at things. But, um the, the fact is, though, Max, it, it's amazing. This year, I mean, we've got offices throughout the growing uh, area, a uh, you know, number of offices in a number of states. And 
I, I got to say that I've been in this business a long time, and, and uh, there aren't many times when I've heard you know eyewitness accounts of just how bad it is is this year. So uh, even though there's a lot of backwarditis, I got to say this backwarditis is very widespread. The geography is impressive, isn't it? When you look at the expanse that is covered. By uh, by poor crops and late planted crops. Now, yeah, it's kind of mind boggling, really. We looked at the weekly crop bulletin, and this week it showed no improvement whatsoever in the condition of the corn and soybean crops. No decline in the condition rating. Still somewhere in the neighborhood of forty forty five percent. No better than fair. Right. Okay. You know, fair, poor, or very poor. Right mm-hmm. around forty four forty five percent. This kind of weather that we have here. And, and 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 we're not used to studying crops this immature with this kind of heat at this stage in the calendar, right? I mean, when That's you take a sure. look at it, and is it good or bad at this point? I mean, people talk about greenhouse conditions. That's what you want right now, isn't mm-hmm. it, at this early stage for many of these plants? Well, Plenty of moisture and... The heat is turned on. Well, that's the crazy thing. I mean, in spite of the way we stumbled out of the starting block here, think the, the the weather right now is pretty picture perfect for those that do have it planted. Again, if you ignore the calendar, you know everybody's worried about you know what happens when this stuff has to pollinate it. The last half or last week of July, first week of August, you know, and the sun starts to shut down later on for beans and so forth and so on. Uh, there's, you know, uncertainties that we've just never really had to deal with before. And then, uh, obviously, the talk of early frost risk and that kind of thing. But um, add it all together, and uh, even though we have some excellent conditions right now, I think everybody would be in agreement that that both the corn and soybean crops, given the the late start and and the nasty conditions, uh, it, it's it's fragile, extremely fragile, and uh, even though conditions are good right now, it wouldn't take a very long spell uh, of those conditions, you know, winding down uh, before I think the trade could get real excited again. Late season weather is going to be more important than ever before, isn't it? I mean, weather on into September, yeah, October, absolutely. perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, definitely. So it's kind of frustrating because it's kind of like hurry up and wait. And uh, I think it, it's we really have no choice because, number one, we have still really a very poor handle on what the heck the acres are. It's still a work in progress, actually. Um, and then the yield is uh, really completely still to be deper- determined. Farmer commented this week, uh, I spent four months planting. <laughs> I'll be spending probably at least four months harvesting, he no figures. Brother. When you take a look at uh, the scenario out there, this price setback, has it encouraged the end users at all? Has there been some buying uh, overseas or buying, uh, you know, by those who are going to need that? That's a great question because I think uh, this whole question of elasticity of demand is, is huge right now, especially as it pertains to the corn market. Uh, to, to answer your question directly, n- no, I, I'm not seeing any sign of a big pickup in demand. I mean, the weekly export sales are really the best barometer we have, and there's nothing to write home about, and certainly the inspections aren't either. But, um, you know, a lot of the models where people you know trying to project what the ending stocks will be for corn, you know, down the road and, you know, for the new crop – um, there's varying approaches to it, but an awful lot of people, I think, make the mistake of they cut production by, you know, whatever, let's say a billion bushels, and then they leave demand unchanged. Well, that's not realistic, because I think over the long term, historically, uh, for every bushel that you see cut back in production, you'll typically see something like oh, 60 to 75% of an offsetting reduction in, in usage as well. However, for that to, to unfold that way, presumably you have to have higher prices to, to cause that elasticity of demand to choke off demand. And yet when we see this market fall out of bed like it has been recently, 
there's no reason to see any uh, cut, you know, corresponding cutback in usage. So I think what this might do is it, it kind of forces the whole price discovery mechanism to to look further down the road. And uh, whereas everybody kind of wanted to see that reward right up front, and it was there for a while, but now it's disappeared again as markets have receded. Um, you know, we could be looking at a tighter situation in the last half of this new crop year, uh, because if and when we're going to have tight stocks, that's when it would be, especially if prices stay low and we don't cut demand off at all. So it's going to be a real complex situation going forward. Is there the feeling that there's going to be, again, big production in South America? And does that uh, blunt this whole discussion a little bit? Does that temper any enthusiasm about seeing stocks pull down? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the world carryover, if you look at a stocks to usage ratio chart in corn and especially beans, uh, as tight as things might pencil out here domestically in the U.S., uh, it, it, it's, it's certainly cut back on that world uh, carryover, but but it's still pretty burdensome for both corn and beans, and there lies the problem. Clayton, thanks for coming into the studio again. Always my pleasure. We'll see you down the road, but maybe this picture is a little clearer. Let's hope so. (laughs) Clayton Pope. Clayton Pope Commodities. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. I talked earlier when we discussed Wall Street that there were some unusual happenings with the more than one day of record highs on the major indices. But there was also an interesting day in the grain market this week, and it happened on the day before the 4th of July. Some impressive gains in the grain market apparently as investors and traders were maybe evening up positions ahead of the holiday trading session but listen to these numbers on wednesday before the fourth of july the july wheat contract gained 15 cents a hundredweight the july corn contract was up 19 and a quarter cents and the July soybean contract gained nine and a half cents going into the 4th of July holiday. And of course, today they gave some of that bad or back. But now we can't uh, cover agriculture in a weekly report without mentioning China. Generally, it's because of the trade situation, but this one is probably even more serious in the long run. Today, China's agriculture ministry said it had confirmed an African swine fever outbreak in the southwestern region. It killed nine pigs on the farm, and China has reported 143 outbreaks of the incurable disease since August of last year, and according to their numbers, have called almost 1.2 million pigs. Many outbreaks are not reported. Farmers have told Reuters, and as many as half of China's breeding pigs may have died or been slaughtered because of the spreading disease. That, according to industry insiders, For American companies that are working and living in China, 
and uh, actually uh, professors in China have said the number that they're reporting is lower than has actually happened. Now, the other thing we have to discuss on China is top representatives from the U.S. and China will meet in the coming week to continue trade talks between the world's largest economies. That, according to Larry Kudlow, who is economic advisor to the White House, he told reporters that the talks will continue in earnest this coming week. He said the two sides have already been in communication by phone. President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping agreed during a meeting in Japan last week to relaunch the talks that had stalled in May. Kudlow later backed away slightly from his timeline, saying that the face-to-face talks would begin soon and that an announcement would be forthcoming. He said, and I quote, I don't know precisely when they're on the phone. They're going to be on the phone this coming week, and they'll be scheduling face-to-face meetings. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin are leading the talks for the American side. But we've been down this road many times, and will this one lead to any kind of a resolution of the disagreement on trade issues between China and the United States? I guess time will tell. Now, the other interesting thing that happened, well, there were a lot of interesting things that happened agriculturally, but this one stirred up quite a storm. The Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, said today it has proposed increasing the volume of biofuels that refiners must blend into their fuel annually to 20.04 billion gallons in 2020. That would be up from 19.92 billion gallons in 2019. The EPA said the proposed mandate included 15 billion gallons of conventional biofuels like ethanol. That's unchanged from 2019, along with 5.04 billion gallons of advanced biofuels, like those made from agricultural waste, and that number is up from $4.92 billion in 2019. But when they made the announcement, they got immediate reaction. Let me share some of the reaction they got. First of all, from the RFA, the Renewable Fuels Association. By Here's the quote of the story. By neglecting to prospectively reallocate small refinery exemptions and blatantly ignoring a court order to restore improperly waived gallons, the U.S. EPA proposed 2020 renewable volume obligations completely betrays President Trump's commitment to uphold the integrity of the renewable fuel standard to the, that's according to the Renewable Fuels Association. And the quote of the release said, as long as EPA continues to dole out 
compliance exemptions to oil refineries without reallocating the lost volume, the agency may as well start referring to the annual RFS levels as renewable volume suggestions rather than renewable volume obligations. That according to Jeff Cooper, who is the president and CEO of the RFA. And the corn growers chimed in immediately, too. They weren't happy, as we learned from uh, their president, who said that the numbers released by the EPA failed to account for lost volume due to refinery exemptions and to uphold the president's commitments to the renewable fuel standards. So the fight between big oil and big corn will continue. So uh, today, as we uh, ended the trading week, uh, let's take a look at those closing prices, because that's where we will start on Monday. July wheat, down a penny. And uh, July corn, up two and a half cents for the day. July soybeans, down 13 cents a bushel for the day. And in livestock futures at the Merck, the October lean hog contract down $2.67 a hundredweight. The October live cattle contract up $1.77. And the October feeder cattle contract up $1.40 a hundredweight. That's a little bit of what happened this week in the marketplace. And as always, Max Armstrong and yours truly, Orion Samuelson, say thank you for joining us every week on the markets.